Weight loss starts with the mind, and nobody knows this better than Martha Cameron, who lost 20 pounds on Noom Weight. Yeah, I lost 20 pounds and kept it off. So Martha, why did Noom Weight work so well for you? Well, Noom was just a really positive weight loss experience for me, and compared to other weight loss programs, they gave me the freedom and flexibility to keep eating what I loved, and that made all the difference in the world because it made me actually enjoy the process. You know what I mean? Oh, we know, Martha. <laughs> Learn how Noom's psychological approach can help you lose weight at Noom.com. At this point, we are 35 pieces into Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Halevi. We've completed the first four Svarim of the Rambam's 14 Yada Chazaka books. We finished Mada, Ahava, Zmanim, and Nashim. So we've done a good chunk of Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Halevi, uh, maybe almost a fifth of the book or so. Uh, at this point, we're going to introduce a new feature, which we're going to call Supplements. And these will be discussions of Rab Chaim, not from the Sefer. We've been going in order, but the, these will focus on Reb Chaim's personality, uh, his hashkafa, his ideology, some of the history of Reb Chaim's life, some of the history of his learning methodology, how it changed the yeshiva world, Reb Chaim's various students, uh, how the Sefer came to be written, and the other aspects of Reb Chaim's life and times and learning methodology. So hopefully they'll be interesting and hopefully they'll contribute to our overall understanding of Reb Chaim's legacy, even if they're not purely halachic and they're not right out of Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Halevi, but they're certainly important parts of the author's life and uh, the man who we've been studying so much of his Torah, so it's important to know a little bit about him as a person. Reb Chaim, as we know from going through the Sefer, was an incredible genius, one of the greatest, most influential geonim in the history of the Jewish people. In the last couple hundred years, no person had as much influence in revolutionizing the way we learn Gemara and the way we look at a Gemara as Rab Chaim. So he's rightfully known to be one of the greatest minds and one of the greatest geniuses and one of the greatest Talmidei Chachamim in uh, Jewish history. But in addition to that, Rab Chaim was just an incredible person all around. And uh, my hope with these supplements is that uh, every 10, 15 pieces in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi will discuss something about Rab Chaim's personality and history to uh, get acquainted with that. Uh, obviously, if there are listeners who are more interested in just going straight through Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, they are welcome to skip any of the podcasts that are labeled as supplements. Now, in addition to this new feature, we're also going to be introducing a website now called cleartorah.com, where we're going to post these podcasts and any other shiurim we record in order to make complex Torah more clear, more accessible, hence the name Clear Torah. It's not the flashiest name in the world, but it gets across what we're trying to do, trying to make beautiful, complex svarim more easily and readily accessible to people who might find it difficult to read it in the original or who might not have the time and would prefer to listen to it. So hopefully these shirim will make Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Halevi and hopefully after that many other svarim available for people to learn more easily. So you'll be able to find these recordings also at cleartorah.com. And in addition, at this point, we're going to have one more feature, and this is related to the website, and that is that we're going to have dedications for each of the shiurim. People can dedicate them in memory of loved ones. 
Lilui Nishmasam or as a Rafur Shalema. This is not my natural inclination, but uh, I've been convinced that if we're able to provide a merit for a Nishama or for Rafur Shalema, then we should certainly allow that. So you'll hear a dedication at the beginning of the Shiurim from now on, and uh, people are welcome and encouraged to dedicate one of the Shiurim. Uh, they can do that by going to cleartorah.com. Uh, you can also leave feedback and any other comments that you want at that website. Um, I want to take this opportunity to thank Moshe Ben David, who's been uh, the motivation and uh, the first listener for all of these podcasts. Uh, he's done all the technical work to get them up online. So anyone who's benefited from them, uh, we all owe him gratitude. And I thank him for his work on this. He does a, an excellent job with web design at alenumedia.com, A-L-E-N-U media.com. So if anyone needs web design or knows of anyone that does, please check out his website. And I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners. Uh, we were not sure what kind of reception there would be for fairly complex pieces being put on the internet, but we've been gratified with the, the listenership so far. So a thank you to anyone who's listening and with us on this journey to uh, learn through Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Halevi and to understand the major key conceptual points that Rab Chaim develops in this stunning Sefer. Now, returning to our supplement, the first aspect of Rab Chaim's life that I'd like to discuss was his incredible Midas HaChesed, his unique and inspiring love of other people and of doing kindness for other people. And this is interesting because I think it's counterintuitive for most of us. Most of us, when we think of a great towering Godel Yisrael, a phenomenal mind in the world of learning, someone who's an expert in all of Shas and Poskim and the Rambam, someone who uh, can write the pieces in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi. So that demands an unbelievable amount of learning and concentration and hasmada and focus on uh, ancient texts, on uh, the world of Gemara and Rashi and Tosfos and the Rambam and the Ravid. And it seems to exclude being able to be a, a friendly chevraman and, you know, be out and about doing chesed. We, we tend to think of those as things that can't coexist. Most people, I think, if you ask them, would say that if someone wants to be a great masmid and to become a phenomenal Talmud Chacham, that probably precludes on some level being able to do constant chesed. And when we study Rab Chaim's life, the incredible thing is that with all of his towering genius and with all of his expertise that was unmatched, in the world of learning, but together with that, he was also unrivaled in the world of chesed, in his kindness, in his friendliness, in his socialness, and that's something really amazing to reflect on. Certainly, uh, those of us who are going through the Sefer and we're learning piece after piece, it's worth always keeping in the back of our mind that the author who came up with these genius ideas was also someone who was constantly involved in chesed. Now, my presentation is going to rely on a book, The Making of a Guttle, a phenomenal book by Reb Nussan Kamenetsky, the son of Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky. And he has portraits that emerged throughout that book of uh, some major Gedolei Yisrael, like Rabbi Saul Salanter and the altar of Slabodka, and also Rab Chaim. A good part of the book is devoted to Rab Chaim, and he highlights many of the themes that I hope to discuss in these supplements, and he has a very beautiful presentation of Rab Chaim's unbelievable chesed, his phenomenal friendliness. Uh, this begins in volume one, the second 
book of volume one on the page 1198. There's a whole section on Reb Chaim's chesed. He calls it on Reb Chaim Soloveitchik's unique cognitive faculty and superlative kindness. And it goes on for about 60 pages. So we'll quote some of his information. And certainly everyone's encouraged if they are able to, to uh, get a copy of this book and be able to uh, read it in full themselves. He really does a nice job bringing to life Rab Chaim on many aspects and on this aspect too. So let me begin with a few of the reports that he tells us about Rab Chaim's extraordinary chesed. The uh, first story comes from Ishim Veshitos from Rav Zevin. And he tells that there was a woman whose husband had left 11 months earlier and now she was pregnant and she was destitute. So obviously this child was born illicitly. The child was a mamzer, born to a married woman uh, from someone other than the husband. Rab Chaim ordered his rebetzin to take the woman into their home until after she gave birth made the birth of the seemingly illegitimate child in his house and arranged a monthly allocation for her and the baby's sustenance. So Rab Chaim took care of this woman and her child, the mamzer. And similarly, he quotes that his father reported that Rab Chaim had a house full of mamzerim, but he explains that in this case, he doesn't mean actual mamzerim halachically, that they were born illicitly, like in Rav Zevin's story, but it means in Yiddish, mamzerim were abandoned kids who had no one to take care of them. So Rab Chaim had a house full of these kids, and the Rab Nussan tells us it appears that it was a common occurrence in Brisk, and possibly in its satellite villages, to drop off an unwanted child, a rarity among Jews, of course, at Rab Chaim's doorstep. So this, of course, is an unbelievable level of chesed to reflect on, that Rab Chaim had all sorts of children, babies being raised in his home, who had nowhere else to go. As, again, similar to this theme that Rab Chaim's home was just open to anyone, he quotes from Rab Chaim's son, Rab Velvel, Father did not feel that he owned the house more than the stranger who wandered in. Whoever wanted to do so came right in, made himself a glass of tea, cooked something up in the kitchen, sat down to eat, then lay down to sleep in one of the rooms. Sometimes entire families with many children arrived and stayed in the house for many months until Father, wanting to retire, found his bed taken and was compelled to sleep on a bench. He says that uh, Rav Velvel also said that Rav Chaim had a corner which was set aside for him to daven, even though his house was uh, totally open to everybody, but at least one little section was for him to be able to daven. And he says a family with 10 children stayed in the house for many months, and father girded himself with tolerance and maintained his affable composure with them as with everyone. Once father approached the corner to daven Mariv and found that the lady of that family had occupied precisely that corner. At that moment, a look of displeasure crossed his face as if he were thinking, can't just this small corner remain mine so that I can seclude myself with my creator. So uh, this is an unbelievable uh, level that Rab Chaim reached, that his house was uh, just totally open for anybody. It was the house of Mamzerim. He was raising all these kids that had nowhere to go. And uh, that was how he chose to conduct himself and how he chose to use the resources that he had his home and uh, his time taking care of these people. Uh, a second example of Reb Chaim's superhuman chesed is that uh, during the time Reb Chaim was the Rav in Brisk, there were two major fires which uh, caused tremendous damage to the community. So uh, Reb Nassim Kamenetsky quotes from the Encyclopedia Brisk, uh, he says, everyone knows that what Rab Chaim did at the time of the fire, how he endangered his life to save the Talmud Torah children facing death, even before he had managed to save his own house. 
And he quotes that it is said that whoever did not see Reb Chaim's dedication on behalf of the inhabitants of Brisk after the first great fire in the year 5655, which is 1895, has never seen a full measure of compassion. So this too was another example of Reb Chaim's tremendous commitment and dedication to people's well-being. After these fires, he threw himself totally into raising money to rebuild and to uh, help the community members who had lost so much in the fire. I doubt they had uh, home insurance uh, at that time. But uh, Reb Chaim was the insurance and he worked tirelessly in order to uh, help them get back on their feet. So those are two very prominent examples of what kind of person Reb Chaim was and his tremendous dedication to other people and to helping them. Now, it wasn't just the people in tremendous need, but in general, Rab Chaim was a very affable, very gregarious person. He was really what we would call an extrovert and not an introvert. And this goes back to what we began with. That many Gedoli Yisrael, many people of Rab Chaim's caliber and learning are much more on the introvert side. But Rab Chaim had this unique ability to combine tremendous extroversion with also being a great Gadol and a great mind in learning. And uh, there's a few reports of how Rab Chaim used to learn. Uh, making of a Gadol quote from Jacob Mark, who was more of an enlightened type of writer who knew Rab Chaim. So he says that uh, Rab Chaim would often sit down at the side of the Beis Medrash and conduct a longer conversation with an old and simple Jew. I could not refrain myself, and I once threw out the question as to what sort of talk he could have with such a, a Jew, a Tehillim Zagar, an unlettered psalm reciter, a very simple Jew. And Rab Chaim said back, I received the not very complimentary reply, it is beneath the dignity of you and your like meaning uh, people who favor the Haskalah, to talk to such a Jew, without taking into consideration that he perhaps has a heart full of troubles and needs someone with whom to talk things over. So, uh, you know, you can just picture the scene in your head, the Gadol Hador, this man who can come up with the most profound, brilliant shiurim, sitting there having a long conversation with this old and simple Jew just because he needs someone to talk to. He has a heart full of troubles and uh, he needs someone to connect with him, to uh, show him some kindness. Uh, similarly, in the preface to Chidushe HaGrach on Baba Metzia, which is a collection of his early shiurim from when he was in Valazhin, put out by Orisa. So it's generally an unreliable volume, and the introduction is extremely unreliable. I'm sure we'll have more to say about this introduction in the future presentations. But uh, there are some interesting historical nuggets in there. And one of them is that he quotes on page 8 from the memoirs of Rab Aaron Milikovsky. So presumably this is reliable. Uh, what the shear in Valozhin was like when Rab Chaim was there. When Rab Chaim was a younger man in his late 20s and 30s, he was a Rosh Hashiva in Valozhin. He gave a shear there. And uh, this was certainly not with people who were nebachs in any way and needed help. It was with yeshiva boys. But even so, he describes how Rab Chaim was always friendly. He starts off by saying that in Valozhin, it was hard to give the shear because unlike most yeshivas nowadays where they choose certain masechtas, which are easier to give shiurim on, in Valozhin, they would go page by page throughout all of Shas. So uh, the Rosh Hashiva had to give a shear on whatever page they happened to be on that day, uh, regardless of what sugya it was. And then he says that the Rab Chaim Salavechik Lohaya Ragil Tapel Bahachanat Hashir Lifnei Hasha Eser Baboker Baoto Yom. That Rab Chaim didn't used to prepare the shear before ten o'clock that morning. Uh, obviously, he was learning uh, all the time, but uh, the shear he would start at around ten. 
He says a couple of us guys would be waiting in one of the rooms in the yeshiva for him to come in. And when he would come into the room, he would almost always use the same phrase. He would say, New guys, what chiddush uh, do you have today and the page that we're learning? And uh, then he would say that each guy would go on and say what they had been thinking, uh, what an, an idea to answer the rivet against the Rambam, and uh, one would give him a question from Diktsos, and it would go on and on, and they would just talk and learning for a while. And he says nobody could have imagined that the, these, this conversation was going to end up in some beautiful shear that was going to be all wrapped together and uh, hold together perfectly. They would just uh, sort of, the Hevra would chat in learning for a while until 12.30, and uh, then it would be time for the shear, and he says to their amazement, Rab Chaim would get up, and from all of the little pieces that they had discussed, he would weave this beautiful shear and he would put it all together and it would be uh, perfectly set up and a uh, perfect distinction and it would explain the sugya. So uh, again, this is a combination of showing us Rab Chaim's immense abilities, his immense intellect that he was able to put together a shear like this, but also the fact that he did it in a friendly way, always with uh, schmoozing, always with chatting with people. There's a, a cute story that when Rabbi Sir Zalman Meltzer, who was one of Rab Chaim's greatest uh, early Talmidim in Valozhin, so uh, Rab Chaim used to always talk to him in learning, to the point where the Nitziv, who was the other Rosh Hashiva in Valozhin, uh, made a, a funny line. He said that, Rab Chaim b'tzavoro v'yasok batora. The Gemara has a phrase that uh, if someone has Rechaim b'tzavoro, he has to work at the mill, then how could he learn Torah? So the Nitziv had a play on words that Rab Chaim b'tzavoro. Rab Chaim is always on Rabbi Sir Zalman's neck. He's always talking and learning with him that how is he supposed to just learn Shas and Poskim. So it was a joke, but again, it shows us that the Rab Chaim's method was very heavy on talking and learning, and it was a very social way of learning. Uh, of course, Rab Chaim looked at Gemaras, and he was a master of Shas and Poskim, but uh, weaved together with that perfectly and seamlessly was this ability to also connect and uh, to be social with other people. Now, obviously, a lot of this was Rab Chaim's innate ability. He was born a tremendous genius, that's uh, unquestionable, and uh, he also uh, seems to have been born with a very outgoing personality. Not everyone is gifted with those two aspects. But it's not just that Rab Chaim was born with this. This was also Rab Chaim's approach to life. And this we know because Reb Meir Berlin, who was a son of the Nitziv from his second wife, when the Nitziv was much older, and Rab Chaim was married to a granddaughter of the Nitziv from his first wife. So officially, Meir Berlin was Rab Chaim's uncle-in-law, but Rab Chaim was much older than him. Anyways, the mayor of Berlin went around asking various Gedoli Yisrael who were related to him what the function of a Rav was. And when he came to ask Rab Chaim this question, he got a very famous answer, which gives us a lot of insight into how Rab Chaim viewed the world and his job as a rabbi. Now, there's a few different versions of this story, which all lead to basically the same idea, but it's just such an important story that it's worth going through some of these versions. Uh, Rav Yosef Dov Salavechik, Rab Chaim's grandson, 
who wrote a book, Halachic Man, about his view of the world. So he tells us that uh, my uncle, Reb Meir Berlin, told me that once Reb Chaim of Brisk was asked what the function of a rabbi is, Reb Chaim replied to redress the grievances of those who are abandoned and alone, to protect the dignity of the poor, and to save the oppressed from the hands of his oppressor. So uh, Reb Chaim literally saw this as the key job of a rav, to be there for people who are oppressed, to be there for people who are in need, and to help them out to do chesed. Now it's interesting. I'm not saying you have to love football. We all have different likes and dislikes, people. Personally, I'm not a fan of the avocado. I just don't like the mouthfeel. But, but if you're someone who loves football, I mean, truly loves it well, my sportsbook app might be the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat on confidential and toll-free helpline at 1-888-532-3500. Interesting to compare what other answers Reb Meir Berlin got. And uh, Rav Salavechik does not quote in Halachic Man the other answers. But uh, in the making of a guttle, he does tell us uh, an extended answer of Reb Chaim and another answer that Reb Meir Berlin, he was also known as Bar Ilan. Bar Ilan University is named after him. So uh, he tells us a little bit more fully this story that uh, Mayor Berlin was going to write an article called The Task of a Rav in Our Times. And he went to his grandfather, Rabbi Chiel Michal Epstein, who was the Rav of Nevardic and the author of the Aruch HaSholchan. The Nitziv's sister was married to the Aruch HaSholchan, and his second wife was the daughter of the Aruch HaSholchan, so his niece. So his son, Mayor Berlin, was a grandson of the Aruch HaSholchan. So he went to his grandfather to ask what the job of a Rav is in our time, and the Aruch HaSholchan and the great Posek told him that a Rav's job is to rule on the prohibited and the permissible. In other words, a Rav's job is to be a Posek, which is what the Aruch HaSholchan was expert at. Uh, then he went to Brisk to ask Rab Chaim, who was his nephew-in-law, and he tells us an expanded answer from Rab Chaim that, uh, A, the Rav needs to take care that children born out of wedlock, who are commonly called Mamzerim, do not, heaven forbid, fall into the lap of the Christian church, the Rav is required to hire wet nurses and nannies to raise the children as Jews. He related incidentally that he had recently delivered a shear in the base medrash and one of his mamzerim, meaning the kids that Rab Chaim took care of, leaped up and asked an astounding question. Rab Chaim rejoiced and said, I thank God that I was privileged to cultivate a mamzer talmid chacham kodem lekohin gadol am haaretz, that a learned mamzer takes precedence over an unlearned kohen gadol. B, the Rav needs to supervise that new Gaboyim be elected annually for the loan funds of the charity associations so that when a poor man comes to borrow, the Gabay not tell him, but you took out a loan last year. And the Rav must take care that the Gaboyim be truthful and God-fearing people. So that's Rav Chaim's definition of a Rav. Again, you notice uh, nothing to do with paskening or teaching, but it has to do with doing chesed. And uh, this is actually explicit in the version of the story which was told by Reb Chaim's grandson, Reb Shmuel Soloveitchik, uh, he told this to Reb David Lifshitz that the Reb Chaim had said to his son, Reb Moshe Soloveitchik, when he was becoming a Rav, do you think the job of a Rav is to rule on halachic questions? 
If that were the case, he would not be permitted to take wages. His job is to do chesed. So Rab Chaim said this explicitly, that the job of a Rav is to do chesed. Uh, it's interesting, uh, the making of a Gadol points out that when the altar of Slabodka asked Rabbi Saul Salanter what the mission of a yeshiva is, so uh, Rabbi Saul Salanter told him almost the same thing, to uplift the souls of the broken, to uh, give, to restore life and spirit to those who are broken. So uh, Rabbi Shal Salanter defined a yeshiva. Uh, we think of a yeshiva as a place to learn and a place to just grow in Torah. And Rabbi Shal Salanter defined it as a place to uh, restore people's souls. And that's how Rabbi Chaim defined the position of the rabbinate. Very interesting to note. And just to complete our picture of this story, it's worth noting that there was one more answer recorded to this question, and that is in Megid Givos Olam, Reb Michal Shurkin, on uh, volume 1, page 57. So he reports that uh, Mayor Berlin asked his grandfather, the Aruch HaSholchan, and he told him to paskin, he asked Rab Chaim, and he told him to do chesed, and then he asked his brother-in-law, Reb Rafal Shapiro, who was Rab Chaim's father-in-law, and uh, had been a Rosh Hashim in Valajan, what is the task of a Rav? And the Rebbe Fal Shapiro told him, and nothing, just to sit and study Torah day and night, which was what Rebbe Fal Shapiro was known for constantly learning. So uh, it's a cute story because each of the three told him what their strength was. That was how they saw the job of the rabbinate. Now, in keeping with the, how Rab Chaim described the job of a Rav, so Rab Chaim also considered his primary accomplishment, despite his unbelievable genius and having created a new way to study Gemara that swept through the yeshivas, Rab Chaim saw his chesed as his major accomplishment. And uh, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, uh, quoted in the Making of a Gadol, relates that when Rab Chaim died, all he wanted put on his headstone was Ish Chesed Haya. He was a man of kindness. And he quotes that Rab Chaim's tombstone, he quotes the whole text on page 1249, that it talks all about his amazing writing and his amazing learning and what an unbelievable Talmud Chacham and Rosh Hashiva he was. And uh, it doesn't even include the phrase Ish Chesed Haya. And he quotes that when Rav Yosef Dov Soloveitchik was told about what had been done to his grandfather's headstone against his wishes, he was uh, very upset. And uh, he called it a, um, a monstrosity of the iniquity, that it's a terrible thing that was done, that Rab Chaim's instructions were not followed. Now, uh, Reb Nussan Kamenetsky goes on and he offers some explanations as to uh, why they might have changed it. And uh, it does say on the headstone, Rav HaChesed, which can mean either abundant in Chesed or the Rabbi of Chesed. So he has a, a couple page discussion of that, but we'll leave that for now. Now, uh, People have to be wondering, how is it possible, really, that Rab Chaim was so busy doing chesed all day and he was still this towering genius who was able to revolutionize how we learn Gemara? So the making of a Gadol on page 1244 does try to make sense of this. And, uh, you know, I think on some level we have to attribute it to Rab Chaim's uniqueness as a person. But uh, he also quotes some interesting sources on this issue. He says that uh, Rabbi Azriel Zelig Noach Kushalevsky in his Hesped for Rab Chaim, so he says that people were astonished that Rab Chaim was able to maintain his level of Torah knowledge when he was always so preoccupied with the concern for the welfare of every poor and despondent person coming to his door. 
and trying to fill their requests. From all sides, varied individuals streamed to him to pour out their talk, and he received them hospitably, sympathizing with each and everyone's suffering. He uh, also quotes that uh, someone named Rab Shimon asked Rab Chaim uh, explicitly, he said, begging the Rav's pardon, inasmuch as he is so busy with all matters of kindness all day, when does he have time to learn? So he quotes that Rab Chaim answered, one had to have learned long before undertaking to be the Rav of Brisk. In other words, uh, his learning was done when he was younger, and uh, once he became the Rav of Brisk, he was busy with Chesed. Now, Reb Nassan does not think that that's the real answer. He thinks Reb Chaim was maybe being humble and downplaying his learning, but he says the real answer is what Reb Chaim's son, Reb Velvel, said. And he quotes him that many times he saw his father sweating profusely when holding a simple conversation with someone. And the reason was that Reb Chaim was straining his mind at the time to crystallize an idea. Reb Velvel also revealed that in the middle of a conversation, his father would often walk into the next room where his son was studying to voice a problem with how he had explained the topic he had been discussing with him earlier. After returning to his guests, he might again come walking into the room to say that he had found a solution to the problem. In this way, he would continue talking to his guests while his mind was occupied in the subject of study. So uh, according to the Briskerov, Reb Chaim's ability was to be talking and chatting and doing all this chesed, but his mind was occupied and learning the whole time. He was constantly thinking about learning. And it's intriguing to note that uh, this approach to learning was on some level related to Reb Chaim's whole methodology, because since it was so conceptual, he could be tossing around the same idea and the same problem in his head, trying to figure out different ways to analyze it. So it's easier to be thinking and learning while you're going about your day than other methodologies that involve more just sitting and reading through the Gemara. So uh, part of Reb Chaim's ability to maximize his learning and his chesed was also related to his unique way of learning Gemara. Now, I want to end this portrait of Rab Chaim's chesed and his kindness and friendliness with one incredible story, which really brings home and ties together a lot of the different parts we've been talking about. And it gives us an image of this tremendous Gadol Yisrael and what an outgoing personality he was. Uh, this is the story of Rab Chaim playing horse with the little kids. So the first version of this story comes from a book called The Rav, The World of Rav Joseph B. Soloveitchik. This is written by Rabbi Aaron Rakefet. In volume 2, page 41, so he quotes from Rav Yosef Dov Soloveitchik, Rav Chaim's grandson. Uh, he's talking about Rav Chaim. He says he was a Democrat from head to toe, a real plebeian. He was gregarious and fond of all people. It did not matter whether they were intelligent or dull, rich or poor, observant or non-observant. Rab Chaim was particularly in love with children. The great Rab Chaim would communicate with children in a way that only a mother can. Brisk residents used to see Rab Chaim surrounded by little boys. He would play games with them. Once, it is a true story, Rab Chaim came out of his house and found a group of children waiting for him. What do you want? He asked the youngsters. We would like to play horses, was the reply. No, so why don't you play? Rab Chaim asked. They responded that nobody wanted to be the horse. They all wanted to be the drivers or the passengers. Rab Chaim immediately volunteered to be the horse. He was roped and the little children forced the horse to move on. Once Rab Chaim played horses with them and the children got tired and hungry. They told Rab Chaim that they would tie him to the tree while they went home to get a snack. Rab Chaim said, all right. They tied him to the tree with a few good knots, sailor's knots. They went home and forgot about Rab Chaim and their horse tied to the tree. The Gabai of the Shul came out and saw Rab Chaim tied to the tree. 
All this happened in front of the shul. The gabai said he would take a knife and cut the ropes. Rab Chaim refused because he did not want to disappoint the children. He insisted that the gabai bring the children to untie him. And then he says that the brisk Jews liked this type of behavior. Rab Chaim was not fired from his post. On the contrary, they were impressed with this humility on the part of the greatest intellect among the rabbis of the 19th century. So uh, this story really brings home the image of Rab Chaim standing there, or maybe crouching there, tied to a tree, playing horse with a bunch of kids who went to get lunch. Uh, that's certainly not the image that we have of Gidoli Yisrael, but that is the type that Rab Chaim was. He was a very unique, very independent person, as we see in his learning style, and uh, also in terms of the rabbinate, he conducted himself in a totally democratic way. Uh, there's another version of this story, which is related also from the same grandson, Rabbi Yosef Dov Soloveitchik. This is in a book called Thinking Aloud, which is transcripts of a conversation that David Holzer had with Rav Soloveitchik. So on page 9, he has a conversation about this story, and uh, he asks Rav Soloveitchik, the stories Rebbe used to tell me about Rav Chaim are fascinating. Rebbe told me he used to box with the Bachram in the yeshiva. So uh, Rav Soloveitchik says, yes, he was like a pal of theirs. Like he wasn't a Rosh Yeshiva for that time. I couldn't do it. He wanted to be familiar, one of the Bachram. In other words, he just wanted to be one of the boys. And then he says he liked it very much. He had no vanity to him like I have. He could joke about himself where many Roshe Yeshiva fail. They are concerned about appearances. They are on the other side, standing at the end. They are not one of the guys. They are the leader. Reb Chaim was just the opposite. He would walk with the Bachram, play with them. Reb Chaim could play with little children. My mother told me she witnessed it. She walked out of the house and she saw Reb Chaim and a bunch of little boys, six, seven years old, what have you, pulling the corners of his garment and saying, yo, and he'd go and play as a horse. She inquired what happened. Reb Chaim had walked out of the house and found the little boy crying. The boy's friends were playing horse. One end of the string was in his, the boy's mouth, and the other end was around the trunk of a tree. He couldn't move from the tree and he was crying because he was the horse. They used to tie a horse to a tree so it wouldn't run away, so the boys had tied him to a tree and told him to wait for them and went away. Reb Chaim told him, now I'll be the horse and you'll be the rider. To be a horse was a sacrificial act. This was Reb Chaim. The people in America, the yeshiva bachar, are not like that. So this is the same story with a few differences, but we have Rav Soloveitchik's explanation and interpretation of this story that we learn from Reb Chaim to be a totally democratic, that even though he was this towering intellect and this towering Gadol B'Yisrael, but he saw everybody as equal from the littlest kid, anybody who needed him, who needed some help, he was there willing to help them. And of course, through it all, he was thinking and learning, but the being totally available to make anyone feel good and to uh, improve their day. So it's very, very inspiring to think about as we go through the Sefer and as we learn more of his Torah. Uh, let me conclude this presentation with the one last passage from the Rav, from Rav Soloveitchik, his analysis of Rav Chaim. This is in volume one on page 198. He says, there were many stories about my grandfather's intellect. There is no doubt that he possessed great intellectual ability. In my opinion, he was one of the greatest intellects who lived at the turn of the century, not only among Jews, but among Gentiles. His intellect was tremendous. Had he been a philosopher or a scientist in any field, he would have changed the particular discipline completely. I will tell you, frankly, this commands respect, but it is not the main trait of Rabbi Chaim. Yes, it is true that he had an excellent head. He was a genius, no doubt about it. He was an abstract thinker and a revolutionary as far as the interpretation of halacha is concerned. He revolutionized the halacha. 
My father once told me that if it were not for Rab Chaim, there would have been no possibility of teaching halacha to modern young men who have a good training in science. Rab Chaim made it possible to teach halacha to anyone, even those who are advanced in logical analysis. They will find that the halacha is just as exalted and perhaps as abstract as the most advanced mathematical logic or analytical logic. However, I am not impressed by these abilities. They were given to Rab Chaim by the Almighty. Some people he presents with a beautiful, precious gift, while others get very little. I am more impressed by Rab Chaim's heroism as far as social justice is concerned. If there was a real socialist, not a Marxist socialist, it was Rab Chaim. He possessed a most sensitive conscience and sensitive heart, along with unlimited courage. So here we have one of the great followers of Rab Chaim and a towering intellect in and of himself, a grandson of Rab Chaim who used the Brisker methodology all his life to teach thousands of Talmidim. And he tells us that Rab Chaim's main legacy was his love of chesed and his love of other people, even more so than the tremendous intellect he had, which was ultimately a gift that Hashem had given him. So not to minimize, of course, anything from Rab Chaim's learning, the making of a gadol, in fact, quotes from the Mechitar Eloi, one of Rab Chaim's great Talmidim, who again, hopefully we'll talk about more, that he actually believed that it was Rab Chaim's tremendous chesed and kindness and friendliness which made his method so popular. He says that Rab Chaim's good heart toward the people around him, his fine traits regarding his students and his conduct vis-a-vis the foundlings taken into and raised in his home were the very things which won the hearts of his Talmidim and imprinted his stamp upon them, preparing them to accept the depth of his conception and spread it in the Torah centers. Without these attributes, it is almost certain that with all his greatness, his Torah would not have taken wing and succeeded in becoming widespread to a degree that many of the great scholars of preceding generations did not merit. And he goes on to discuss that Reb Chaim was only a Rosh Hashiva for 11 and a half years. And in that time, he totally radically changed the yeshivas. And the Mechitur believed that a Rebbe's characteristics and his character traits and midos and attributes are the main conduits through which he transmits Torah to his students. So he believed that Rab Chaim's ability to change the world in learning came from his great love of other people. So well, we're not trying to minimize the impact that the Rab Chaim's learning methodology had on the world. We are uh, trying to go through Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi and understand it precisely because we have such reverence for Rab Chaim's learning abilities. But uh, what we're emphasizing from Rav Soloveitchik is that not everyone can be Rab Chaim. Most of us are not going to be able to learn and to create Chidush Torah like Rab Chaim, but that each of us is able to emulate Rab Chaim's tremendous love of other people, his tremendous kindness. Uh, when we go through Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, we have to remember that this was not a man who was just isolated, sitting in a room, doing his own thing, cut off from the rest of the world. But uh, this was the man who was tied up to a tree, uh, playing horse with a bunch of little boys so that they wouldn't be sad. And uh, who knows which piece in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi he was thinking about at that time. It's not that he wasn't learning while he was doing all that. He was totally exerting his mind and pushing himself to keep thinking and learning and to keep coming up with more chidushim. And the result of that is the safer that we're learning. But in addition to that, he was always friendly, always extroverted, always ready to chat with someone in need and to help someone in need. So with that, Mida is something that we can certainly emulate and 
all of us, no matter what our capabilities are, each of us is able to do more chesed and to help others in need. And we should never think that that's a deviation from the path of Rab Chaim of constantly thinking about learning, but that we should understand that Rab Chaim held that learning and chesed have to go together. Um, I will end with one quote from Rab Chaim that really captures this. Whoever closes his Gemara in order to do kindness, for him the Gemara is open. Whoever opens the Gemara in order to avoid doing kindness, for him the Gemara is closed. Uh, this legacy of Rab Chaim is uh, something that might not be his most popular legacy, but it's something that each and every one of us should try to incorporate into our day, uh, every day and whenever possible. And uh, certainly if we're going to be delving into Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi and his worldview, so Chesed is an integral part of that. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! 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 Ah! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.